This is an ABC podcast. Are you seeking leadership nirvana? Is there even such a thing? No, it's it's not leadership nirvana. Although I think there's probably somebody out there with a program on leadership nirvana. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong and on This Work in Life, how can we make leadership development more relevant and more useful for all of us, not just the anointed few? tends to be a little bit elitist. It really focuses on the pointy end of the pyramid. Why is this such a lucrative, multi-million dollar industry? Are we just throwing resources at the executive level managers with little benefit to the broader organisation? David Day is Professor of Psychological Science at Claremont McKenna College in California. He also did a stint as Professor at the University of Western Australia. What is leadership development really, David? Really? (laughs) Uh, I would say if I had to give a pithy definition, it's enhancing the capacity of individuals and collectives to engage more effectively in leadership roles and processes. Do you have to have a leadership role? No. And and in fact, some of the most powerful leadership happens in an informal way when people don't have a formal leadership role. What's your approach, David? What are you teaching students? Oh, I don't know if I want to tell you this because it's kind of a trade secret. No, I'm sorry. I will definitely tell you this, but there is this kind of mindset among a lot of leadership development people that, you know, it's very secret, hush, hush, they can't share because they'd be giving away trade secrets. But one of the things that I focus on uh, is helping students, first of all, with what we call the self-views around leadership. That is embracing a leader identity, enhancing their self-awareness, while also working to help develop uh, leadership-related skills and competencies. So uh, the self-use without the skills and the competencies can lead you into trouble, but also the skills and the competencies can only get you so far because what people need to do is own their development and these self-views, especially an identity, helps to motivate uh, individual development over the long term. I feel like motivation is such a linchpin here. You cannot make anyone develop as a leader. If you're not motivated to become a better leader, then nothing that you would be exposed to is going to matter. You can go to so many workshops, so many talks, all of these (laughs) things that, you know, in the name of leadership development, and, and it's going to have absolutely zero impact. But if you are someone who's really motivated to try to become a better leader, you'll look for opportunities to practice your leadership, learn more about leadership, to exercise leadership when leadership moments emerge. And that's really that notion of owning your development development, and also incorporating an identity as a leader, to some extent, in a very complex identity space where we're a lot of different things, making room to think of yourself as a leader is is really important. And if I'm sitting here with development and program fatigue, how (laughs) would you motivate me, David? Well, I, I think maybe walk away from the development and programs that are fatiguing you. You know, I, I don't think development can be fun. I think the, the research evidence is very clear that any any kind of change requires discipline, requires hard work. It, re, it requires to, you to do these things that make you uncomfortable over a considerable amount of time. But 
you have an eye on the prize. That is, I want to be a better leader, whether it's in a corporate domain, whether it's in an education domain, nonprofit. So it's worth the sweat. It's worth the pain. And don't expect a ticket to an amusement park where you're going to have a lot of fun. Think about it as a gym membership where you're really going to put yourself out. Do you think it's enough to have as a goal, I want to be a better leader? How would you define that even? I think that's really an overarching goal. And what we you know, talk about and what we work with, especially with, with young leaders, is how do you define goals around moving the dial on particular skills and, and competencies? How do you work on what some people call micro skills that can lead to uh, larger mini skills that can lead to mega skills like leadership? So leadership is such an, a, a complicated, abstract concept that has so many different parts. It means uh, potentially very different things in different contexts. You got to break it down. And when you break it down, then you can see, okay, I want to work on this part of my leadership. And let me set some sub goals on how I can do these things better and look for opportunities to practice and, and develop. Not when I go to a workshop, not when I'm in a program, but how do I do it all the time? You know, the gym, if we're using the gym metaphor, the gym is, you know, outside. It's your everyday life. And you've got to use that more effectively rather than expecting that your development's going to happen when someone sends you a, to a program. Hmm. So, do you think that we're going about leadership development all wrong, David? I think that might be the case, Lisa. <laughs> I think indeed <laughs> we've we've got kind of this program fixation. There are a lot of people out in the leadership development space that have something to sell and that something to sell is are usually programs. And it's kind of this self-reinforcing process of, you know, people who espouse to be experts in leadership development say the way to do this is to send people to the programs that I'm sponsoring, that I'm facilitating. And that leads to what you were talking about in terms of the program fatigue. How big are we talking here? How big is the industry in leadership? Well, it's squillions, to use an Aussie term. Not familiar with the statistics in Australia uh, these days since I've been out of country now about five, six years. But in, in the US, it's, it's billions of dollars. And it's hard to really break that down into how much of that is really leadership development because it kind of gets all thrown into the training and development budget of organizations. And in your view, is there anything such as best practice in this area? One thing that I think has uh, has evidence behind it and has potential to develop people is called action learning. And this is really project-based learning where people in small groups will take on a project of strategic importance to an organization. But the trick is always to try to elevate the learning to be on par with the action because people get focused on doing a good project and they forget about the learning that's supposed to be driving the development. So really good senior leaders that I've seen use this will hold teams accountable how do we do that? Can you please give us an example? There's a lot of glossing over some of the interpersonal dynamics that emerge in teams that are not very uh, effective, but they're great learning points. So tell us what you learned and, and don't just varnish this with all the good things. 
you know, could this work, you know, at all levels at an organization? It absolutely could. What happens too often, though, in organizations is that people get focused on what are called the high potentials. Most of the investments go to these anointed few. And by few, it's usually two, three, maybe 5% of the total uh, employee population get designated as high potentials. So leadership development for everyone. <laughs> I would. I like that. Although this is not a message that a lot of organizations are receptive to because, you know, they manage their budgets very carefully. And that's usually what you hear is that, oh, we couldn't possibly afford to develop everyone as a leader. And by the way, if we developed everyone as a leader, who's going to do the work? Who, who are going to be the followers? And I think I think that's <laughs> that misses the point massively because we're both we're all leaders. We're all followers. We've known for a long time that there are problems with the so-called leadership pipeline in a lot of organizations, that they don't have the right kind of leaders or the best developed kind of leaders. I, I think we're at kind of this crossroads where uh, people are starting to rethink how leadership development should be done in organizations. Do you think that as an individual worker, I can take ownership of my own leadership, David? Absolutely. And I think it's important that you do where people waste potential is waiting for someone else to develop them. What are some of the, the, the goals that you need to set? Well, enhancing your self-awareness, it's like, okay, well, I've heard uh, that this is something that doesn't go well when I take it on. How can I break it down and practice things that will ramp up to help me better perform this skill going forward? And so the challenge part is is really important because it you know nobody develops when they're comfortable. So where people give up a lot of times is that ah oh, this is hard. This is this is really making me sweat. Uh, I, I don't like it. You're listening to this working life. I'm Lisa Leong, and we're looking at leadership development and how can we make it more relevant and useful for us all. David Days, Professor of Psychological Science at Claremont McKenna College in California. David, what do you think about the seven transformations of leadership, a paper published in 2005 by Harvard Business Review that's the backbone of a lot of leadership development? It's a paper I'm well familiar with. I assigned it in my classes. I, I, I assigned it when I taught MBA students at UWA. It's taking uh, what we know about adult development and packaging it in a way that makes something that's complex and ambiguous like adult development seem more tangible to a practicing manager audience. So these seven transformations of leadership are really parallel different transformations that adults make through adulthood if they challenge themselves. One of the things that we know from developmental psychology is that the maturational processes that drive development stop at around age 20 or 21, early adulthood. When you uh, read the, the early developmental psychology literature of people like Piaget, they would say that people are basically done developing by early adulthood. And then the only things that come after that are, are kind of bad, just a, a slow, gradual cognitive decline until uh, terminus. 
So how do you overcome that? And why do we have leaders that are in their uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s? How does that happen if we know that the biological processes are actually creating cognitive deficits as people age? Well, people use challenges to develop themselves. And we know from brain science more about this thing called neuroplasticity than we did. And it's not so much about how many brain cells and neurons and synapses you have, but how they're connected. Those connections can be developed and they're developed through what we believe are the fundamental processes of adult development, which is challenging yourself, getting uncomfortable, taking on things that uh, get you out of where you feel comfortable and are learning. This notion of development across a lifespan, it's really about lifelong learning. And we know a lot of people kind of get comfortable in, in their rut and they'll go to their job. They don't really learn anything in their job. They'll come home and they'll have family time and they'll watch the telly and have dinner and go to bed and get up and do it again. And that's fine if that's all you want. But there are other people who want to keep a keen edge to themselves over the lifespan. And the good news is, is that there's evidence that we can do that. Nobody's going to drive that for us. We've got to drive it ourselves. Sounds like you're saying that me as a leader is the same as me as a human being in terms of development. They're not the same, but I would say, and I have said, and I've published things that have said that leader development happens in the ongoing processes of adult development. Uh, I think where some of the processes and programs fall by the wayside in terms of having impact is that they that they aren't embedded in what we know about adult development. The Harvard Business Review article that you uh, brought up is an example of what we know about how people can develop over the lifespan, but kind of the depressing figure on that is that very few reach really high levels of what we know about the developmental trajectories. When you talk about the higher levels in terms of adult development, what is the higher level that we're looking at here? Is it like leadership enlightenment? <laughs> no, it's, it's not leadership nirvana. Although I think there's probably somebody out there with a program <laughs> on leadership nirvana. And yeah, there's an audience for that for sure, Lisa, unfortunately. It's really more about something that, that that's called cognitive complexity, which is different from intelligence. So cognitive complexity really goes to the complexity of how you understand the world. And some have argued that there's a complexity gap. That is, the world keeps getting much more complex and our leaders are not keeping up. However, one of the ways to try and keep up is to get over this notion of a very leader-centric, heroic, romanticized notion that there is a leader out there who will solve our problems. Our problems are solved more so today through collaborations and through creative collaborations where people bring to the table different perspectives and from that co-create something that none of the people around the table would have thought of on their own. And that's why leadership development for everyone is such good practice, it sounds like. To me, it, it is because 
Um, if you only are betting on the people in formal leadership positions to have the solutions to all of these what seem to be intractable problems that we're facing, we're never going to make any progress. But if you're open to building collaborations and allowing people who may be able to contribute something pretty significant to understanding these problems, yet they don't have a formal leadership position. David, this is such, you know, deep theory and practice there. I think the limitations sometimes of trying to hone our leadership skills and practice are that we need to start putting things into boxes. And so my reflection on the seven transformations of leadership um, was, look, this is helpful, but obviously it's putting things into categories so that I can understand it. So what's your reflection on that? Well, I think putting things into these categories is really reflecting a a hard stage model of development that you got to go through this stage before you get to that stage and that stage before the next stage. And there's a lot of debate about really whether adult development happens that way. You know, it's a very highly read, one of the most downloaded papers from Harvard Business Review. And I think managers like it because it provides something different, a unique insight into the leadership journey over time. And it also gives them, you know, some verbiage to try to do a little bit of self-assessment about where they think they are as a leader and could open conversations, for example, with leadership coaches or facilitators or, or others around this notion of developing over the lifespan as, a, as an adult and as a leader. I love that, the, that you could use it, I guess, as a start of a conversation and exploration. Yeah, and, and there, there are providers out there who will be happy to do that, <laughs> and, and, and that's fine. I think you know, having a conversation about these things is a, a good start, but what I don't want people to come away from are unrealistic expectations. It's like, I want to be that. So how do I get there? Yeah. How do I get there? And and no, yeah, no, you know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it doesn't work that way. There may be some misperceptions that this development that's outlined in this Harvard Business Review paper is a, a quick fix. Oh yeah, maybe a, a month or two. Yeah, yeah, maybe a year. Yeah, no, it, it takes you know a lot of time of dedicated practice to even move the needle across one of these stages. Uh, What do you think in particular about vertical leadership development, which I know is one um, interpretation of, of that area? So, you know, people talk about vertical development. They talk about horizontal development. You know, it's, I understand that translation is important because having taught MBA students as I have, I know that a lot of the academic jargon just does not go over well. You know, packaging it in a way that makes it understandable, makes it accessible, makes sense. But again, my concern is that it packages it in a way that you're going to expect miracles in relatively short amount of time. Someone focusing on this vertical leadership area who takes a longer-term approach to using the adult development theory is Nick Petrie. Nick's based in Nelson, a small city at the top of New Zealand's South Island known for its sunshine. But Nick lived in the US for years and is running a leadership development program hosted by Google in a few weeks. I have done leadership development for the last 20 years. About halfway through, I went over to Harvard, did a master's degree where I 
studied what does the future of leadership development look like? And that gave me a whole lot of new ideas and have been putting that into practice for the last decade, mainly in the US and more recently coming back to New Zealand and Australia. How would you define leadership development? There's two main pieces to it. And in the first half of my career, I I sort of did what we'd call more horizontal development, which is very much, if you imagine the leader is like a cup, it's very much around filling up the leader, the cup, until it fills up more and more with new knowledge, more information, tools, techniques, these sorts of things. And But the issue for many leaders is they already know all of this stuff. Um, What they have problems doing is, one, doing it, but two, handling the massive complexity and volume of work they have in their organizations. So the second part of development is less about filling the cup, and it's more about helping the leaders expand the cup itself. So their mindset gets bigger, their capacity gets bigger, and we'd call that vertical development. And that's much more around evolution than it is learning new things. So Nick's using the ideas that that Harvard Business Review article promoted around adult development. And they notice that they can continue to evolve through these predictable stages of development. And as they did, different capacities came online for them that they didn't previously have. Uh, They could handle more complexity. They could think more strategically. They could be more empathetic. They could take more perspectives of different people. And these are all things which leadership development often tries to teach But these sorts of things, they can't be taught. So I became very interested in how do you help leaders evolve over time? And that's sort of been the work I've been doing the last 10 years. And then in terms of uh, teaching versus having somebody evolve, um, is it like childhood where you just have to experience things? So doing things as an adult through the work and through experience then? Yeah, there's three conditions. The first condition is called heat experiences, heat as in hot You get thrown into some situation you've never experienced before. You're in over your head. You haven't seen this before. Results matter. Often people are watching to see how you perform because it's public and they're extremely uncomfortable. And when we interviewed people about the times they grew and evolved the most, they consistently talked about these really difficult heat experiences, which they went through. And you either had to grow or you would fail. The second condition was colliding perspectives, that you have a whole lot of people around you who think differently from you, and you are continually being exposed and colliding with their viewpoint. Demographically, they're different from you. Their viewpoints and worldviews are very different. Most people don't have networks like that. They have what are called closed networks, which are not diverse at all. So they tend to get their own viewpoints reinforced over and over. And the third one was reflection. And this is something most leaders don't do that much, but you need to reflect on the experiences you've had and the colliding perspectives you are getting. Now, can you bring all of these three concepts together for us and tell me, maybe give me an example of how this works in practice? So organizations can orchestrate these things for their people. They plan for people to have these challenging heat experiences. Organizations will build experiences over 12 months that have those three conditions. They will collide people um, within the program with very diverse people from themselves, or they'll bring in very diverse outsiders 
to challenge the thinking. They might, some of the um, Fortune 500s I work with, they'll take them into startups. They'll build in lots of time for people to have deep reflection. And that's a sort of programmatic way of getting these conditions in. But some of the organizations I work with, they try to create ecosystems where it is in the everyday flow of work. People are experiencing those three conditions and the meetings they're having and the assignments they're given and the conversations they're having with their managers. And is this what you call vertical leader development? Yeah. And what you can also do is make it more overt or put it in the spotlight. And this is when you start to help leaders understand what these stages of development are, where they tend to be operating from at the moment and what their growth edge is and how they might continue to grow to their next stage of development. When you look at the leadership development industry, what are some of the challenges and issues that you're seeing or perceiving? It is very focused on programs. And when you interview people about times when they grew the most, generally they don't talk about programs. They talk about difficult experiences they had on the job. I've got a lot of companies I'm speaking to saying our our people really need to grow, but they don't have time to go to programs. How do we help them grow continuously in the flow of work? There's not much attention put over into how would you orchestrate that. That was Nick Petrie. He runs leadership development programs globally. We also heard from David Day, Professor of Psychological Science at Claremont McKenna College in California. We made this episode on the lands of the Gadigal and Wiradjuri people. This Work in Life is produced by Sarah Allerley. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, love your work. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.